Good morning. My name is Daniel. For all those who don't know um, me, um, I'm an intern here. Uh, we've been here for two months, yeah, and time is flying. Um, I'm, yeah, I'll switch it up this time. I'll open us with prayer before we start everything, and I want to lift up a prayer for uh, Turner. Yeah, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for um, your gathering, the gathering of your people um, on the Lord's Day uh, to worship you, um, to worship uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, our King, Christ Jesus, uh, your one and only Son. Lord, uh, as we learn more about Mark and about who you are, um, we pray that this would uh, very much deeply uh, affect our hearts and our lives and how we live our day-to-day, and then so that we may practice... um, praying for one another and uh, keeping each other co- accountable um, and to love one another and to bear each other's burdens as Christ did for us. So I pray right now uh, for our brother and um, our dearly loved deacon, Turner Cole, as he fell um, uh, down the steps walking. Um, and other than that, uh, he has, I don't have much details, but God, we know that you are a God who heals a God who draws near uh, to the weary. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that you would um, uh, be with Turner now as he um, enters the hospital, be with his uh, physicians who, can, who, who will uh, give him information on um, how to heal quickly. We pray that you would um, also provide for his needs now, today. And uh, we pray that he would be recovered speedily, uh, that he would go have a speedy recovery and draw near to him if he's, um, as he may be upset or frustrated about uh, with this uh, suffering that he's enduring right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we'll get to this little thing I have here uh, later on. We'll start with uh, learning some new Korean words and maybe some old ones uh, from last week. We'll begin with 안녕 친구. Uh, 안녕 친구. Yep. And um, last week we learned 기도하자, which means let's pray. Like glee without the L. Can we say 기도하자? Yeah. And then today we're going to learn a new one, um, yes, the first word is yes, minus the S, yeah, and then best, minus the S-T, yebe, haja, which means in Korean, let's worship, yebe yeah. haja, so we go from kido haja to yebe haja, right, you got the hajas common, in common, yeah, haja means let's do something, yeah, let's go somewhere, like haja. Haja. Yeah. All right. Thank you for <laughs> practicing Korean with me. Um, this morning, we're going to look at uh, the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I will read chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. Please hear the words that are being spoken. God's word here says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it, on, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve baskets. 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God but for those outside everything is in parables so that and he quotes um, here I believe it's Isaiah then they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven and he said to them do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path. So he's breaking it down here. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Last five verses. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What a cool and beautiful sight. With many such parables, he spoke to the world, word to them. He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything.
Um, last Monday, uh, um, the interns and the internship supervisor went out to uh, Revelé. I was trying to make this joke, so I was just wanted to let you all know if you can help me finish it. Um, a Southern Presbyterian and a Southern African and a South Korean walked into a bar and... and then, uh, I don't know how to finish that. So um, Monday night, um, I got on stage and I recited a few pieces. Rick has the video. Uh, I entertained I I Isaac and Rick filmed. If we have time at the end of this class, you know, after the questions, I will recite uh, one of the poems that, that I did on Monday. But for now, we're going to listen to some of the parables that Jesus taught. The Greek word uh, for parable, it literally means to set one thing beside another. Uh, when comparing two things to show an analogy, Jesus wanted to teach about the kingdom of God by comparing it with vivid and concrete situations in our world and in their world. This might be review for uh, maybe most of us, and if not, none of us. Before I get into it, as a reminder, uh, the kingdom of God is not a, you know, a definite geographical space or a realm. The kingdom of God refers more to the ruling power of the one who holds authority. The man, Jesus is in charge. And so the kingdom of God is for uh, the mem his, its members are those who um, submit to the authority of Jesus. And so the kingdom of God is not something we can, you know, go on a map and say, here, it's right here, you know, this is the kingdom of God. So as I read of chapter 4, 3 to 9, and I'm going to put them side to side. The main point of this parable is bolded on the bottom. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the kingdom of God comes only to those who have gone far to listen. You know, we have, we've come, we've traveled, we've, you know, driven down 95 or from Willow Lawn or Midlothian to come as far as to listen, Jesus is implying that the gospel is something not only that you listen to, but it's something we must wrestle with. It has to, we have to reflect on, and we must think it out until the seed actually sinks in. Jesus intentionally is here using an agricultural metaphor with the repeated call to listen, to show us that it is extremely possible to think we understand the gospel when we really don't. And on the flip side of that, it is extremely impossible to think we don't understand the gospel when we really do. So when we get it, we, we really get it. And when we don't, we really don't. Let's be on that side, and that's the prayer that you know, I have for anyone I come across, that we get it. it, it sinks and penetrates deeply because it would be a terrible sham uh, to think we've gotten the gospel uh, when it truly has not reached our hearts and our minds. And so what does this parable tell us about the kingdom of God? Okay, so one, the first uh, point is that an earthly kingdom uh, might come to the supremely confident 
and equipped and adequate men and women, but God's kingdom comes to the completely humble and receptive. The ground in which the gospel is planted needs to be soft and fertile. We hear, we've, um, we, if we remember that Proverbs chapter 4, 23, we commonly use it to tell our children, don't give your heart to just any boy or any girl. Uh, keep your heart with, with all vigilance. Guard your heart, for from it uh, flows the springs of life. And so the kingdom of God, we are not to guard our hearts against the kingdom of God. We must lay down our intellectual and volitional defense. What I'm not saying is to be stupid and to be powerless. I'm saying that God's kingdom doesn't move like the kingdoms of this world. Whereas countries use military forces or political powers, God uses the kingdom of God is, is he uses it by teaching and persuading for men hearing and, and learning. Therefore, Jesus' kingdom will compel us. It will take over us, if you will, through acts of love and service. It is through a sweet and gentle persuasion. What will produce a loving obedience, I'm not preaching I might be preaching to the crowd. What produces loving obedience is not a man with zero relational capital screaming and waving in your face, but it's a man who knows you and sympathizes with you and prays you know, with you or for you. And I think that's one of the biggest issues the kingdom of God poses today. It is absurd. You know, it's radical. It's the beginning of the kingdom of God is small, and it's un unimpressive. No one saw Christianity conquering the Roman Empire, and no one sees the Christianity taking over Richmond. Yet, because we know how slowly and indirectly the kingdom of God can proceed, we can take comfort that even if it looks like it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere, it is. You know, look at ourselves. Look at the picture we took in seventh grade. Do you, have you heard of the term glow up? You've glown up. We, we glow up, but that glow up was very slow. The boy with the thick glasses and braces in fourth grade is now a hottie with a body, right? <laughs> in his 40s or 50s. Jesus' use of an agricultural metaphor suggests that the kingdom of God will grow in stages. And so that means it is organic and it is gradual. So of the four seeds that the sower sows, there's only one that properly responds. So there's four and there's one that properly responds. For us who are witnessing the gospel to our neighbors, our friends, our family, our member, family members, our coworkers, we, we learn how disappointing that there's a 25% chance. We learn how disappointing the response to the kingdom of God can be and oftentimes is. 75% chance it is going to be disappointing. This past summer, 
before moving down to Richmond, I overheard a conversation a mother had with uh, her daughter. So this is what the mother said. She came home one day um, for, from school and asked me, do you believe Santa is real? And so this is, I'm the mother, okay? So I asked her, do you believe that Santa is real? And she asked me, do you believe Santa is real? And I asked her again, do you believe Santa is real? And my daughter said, yes. And so I told her, well, what you believe is all that matters. And I thought about this, you know, what if a man breaks into our apartment one night with a weapon and says, do you believe in Jesus? Say yes, and I'll hurt you. I would love to stop him in this social climate and ask him, sir, do you believe in Jesus? Then that's all that matters, right? What is your truth, I, wanna, I would ask. And I think today, that actually might work if this guy is, you know, a follower of the, the principalities of the world. And so what does this parable tell us about the Christian life? Jesus says again, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When we listen to God's word and when we understand his word, that is the most important in the life of a Christian. Why? Because learning and studying his word takes skill, time, and patience. Like a farmer. I am myself still progressing and improving in understanding God's word and reading it better. But as I read it, I know I don't, I know not to get too far ahead of myself. You know, I don't want to expect dramatic and immediate effects. There are so many giant lessons in the Bible, divine forgiveness, um, a new birth, uh, an adoption into a new family, access to the presence of God by faith in a mediator. These are gigantic lessons. These, for us who are very well-read, who are experts of the Bible, need to kind of take a step outside for just a breather. These big lessons are virtually invisible for uh, a new believer. Uh, it is like a, new, a tiny little new seed. So our 18-year-olds who are now starting to get into the Word might be just like our 63-year-olds who are now starting to trust the word. The concrete fruit of being an adopted child of God is not immediate. Do you agree? Disagree? If you disagree, please, please leave. Or, or, <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't leave. For example, my journal entries. So um, I've told you that I've been journaling for quite some time. The <laughs> journals... I started with this little book that my aunt gave me in 1998. Uh, how many is this? One, two, three, four. Uh, yeah, this is sad. Yeah, 19 or 18 books. Um, you know, as I mentioned, and I've like relayed to you all, that I wanted to be um, an NFL player when I was 10. And that desire changed because I didn't get past five some, you know, five. Um, it, it desire changed to wanting to be an NFL.com writer. 
that desire grew so big that I majored in sports journalism. You know, with generous and gracious guidance of uh, some of you know some of my advisor, you know, my VCU advisor who who's also here today, I got through it. And in 2013, I actually, by God's grace, you know, I I interned as a Redskins.com writer. But but look at this. Every year, I'm writing about how I want to be an NFL.com writer. The sadder part of the story is that I told my parents that I wanted to be a sports journalist because of this, you know. It's, this is why Korean and English, the language, it, it, got, me, it got me good. All of these journals, writing in the hand, like the practice of journaling enabled me to think that I'm going to be a journalist one day. It's insane. I wanted to uh, just kind of show you one entry. This book is from um, 2020. Um, I, you know, put a little post-it note. There's about, yeah. I, I wrote down like a, um, 156 names of people I've met in life and I prayed for and I have been just keeping, trying to keep in contact with. Oh, and in one of my journals, uh, as the wedding guest list, I had all the, um, the guests sign my journal. But one day I really hope that you would all write an entry in my new journals. Please don't buy me journals. I have too many already. <laughs> But um, I noticed here, um, number 71, Howard Griffith. He was really uh, one of the guys that I prayed for. If you don't know, Dr. Howard Griffith was, is no longer with us, but he was um, my RTS professor, and he was the pastor of uh, the the church plant when All Saints planted many years ago. If anyone here has a hard heart about a specific doctrine that the Bible teaches, it is unlikely, although possible, that conversion will, you know, take it away at once. Instead, we will have to work in the doctrine of adoption to your heart or the doctrine of election into your heart. And over a period of time, uh, we'll actually appreciate that Christian growth is not very dramatic uh, like we see in two-hour-long movies. As much as we today, we empathize for those who desire change to happen quickly. We pray for that. Christian mature, maturation comes from continually listening, studying, thinking, and applying the Word of God. What are some of the obstacles to this? Well, we think about it in our own lives and something we really enjoy doing. If someone burned all my journals, I'd be upset, right? It'd be an obstacle for me. Don't get any ideas right now. From this parable, the three main obstacles that block and prevent our submissive listening to the word are the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm going backwards, three, two, and one. So there's evil around us systemically, which is the world. Number two, among the, on the rocky ground, evil that lives inside of us personally, the flesh. And last, first and last, an evil about, above us supernaturally, 
the Satan, right? The, the devil, the one who takes away. The birds who come and devour. So we're going to look at these three soils resisting the word of God. And this is why now we must be on guard, like it says in Proverbs 4.23. We must guard our hearts against these three resistances. Mm, okay. We're going to answer this question now. Does Jesus show us different ways by which we can mishear the word of the kingdom of God? Yes. When we hear the word of God, uh, we can listen to it with a hard heart. Uh, this would be the hard soil which Satan takes away. Who? Uh, this could refer to any man or any woman who is very skeptical and outrightly rejects Christianity. It's us who just don't let things sink in. Maybe we don't let anything sink in. It's we who are completely nominal Christians who profess general belief. If asked, you know, I, yeah, I attend church and I observe religious practices, but who make no connection at all between the message and his or her heart and life. And so the truth does not move us, nor does it affect the way we live. And it is us, men and women, who come and sit in the pews, but leave you know, unscathed, unimpacted. Secondly, we accept it with a shallow heart. This might refer to any man or any woman who has merely an emotional response to hearing about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. Uh, we might be in great distress, and we really want some kind of love or help, but we never have thought things out and become really convinced of the truth of the word, the promises that are made to us. It is only true if in our lives something is working out, but when we're faced with persecution or when we're faced with troubles or trials, then God's word is now all of a sudden untrue and we abandon believing. It is us who are only about the positive vibes of the gospel, the love and acceptance of sinners. So that's only half of the good news. The other half is about us coming to repenting for our sin and stop sinning, you know, mortifying our sin and fully trusting in God, even in the worst situations. And so we reject, if we're re only accepting half of the gospel, we're rejecting the whole gospel. We give up after hearing the whole message of that gospel and turn quickly to false promisers of happiness and love and acceptance again. And ultimately, the second spoil soil speaks to us whose main problem is our flesh. We who trust our hearts, our sinful hearts so much, we, we don't trust the gospel. We trust ourselves. Instead of seeing that our hearts are not to be trusted, meaning our hearts could lead us to responding to the gospel in a, uh, to a superficial degree, degree because we only want that comfort and the blessing part, the sinful heart, you know, we, we've who've, you know, walked with the Lord for quite some time. We, we know that the sinful heart doesn't want to be tamed. So when real and actual trials appear, our superficial faith is um, like a 
like a helium balloon. You know, we, we, we loosely hold it and it just floats away. Thirdly, we might listen to God's word with a divided heart. Soil with other seeds that are, that are kind of in the, same, in, the, in the same, you know, what is it called? Pot. The, the gospel's there, but it's shared with other seeds of wealth and other seeds of lust, you know, after other things in this world. And this could refer to people who are here, real Christians, but just cannot fully give Jesus their highest allegiance. It's here that we can see that this is the problem of the world. And we know them well. I might not have to even mention these, but I will. The material goods, the power and the comfort, and these important things in the world that we are in, we have to kind of really look at what is trying to control you know, our minds, our thinkings, with just so many wonderful and compelling advertisements. And so when we look at soils two and three, we might ask, you know, are these people real Christians who have kind of fallen away, or are they, who, are they those who were just never Christian? Well, soil number two does not appear to represent true disciples. Uh, they are shallow and unaffected. And they, they produce plants that kind of fall away. But soil number three, it looks, it's pretty, it's pretty solid, but it does not, it, it, it grows, it, the plant grows, but it doesn't seem to last. And although it doesn't wither, it also bears no fruit. And it is of no more use to the farmer than the grain that never sprouted at all. And so to examine ourselves this morning, a fruitless Christian is a loss to the master. Fruit that Christians uh, produce, we are to refer to Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul speaks of, uh, in Romans 1.13, a harvest serving and bringing change in the lives of others. There's a harvest to be harvested. So before we move to the next slide, we, we might want to ask ourselves which soil we are. And if we're not soil number four, we may ask God that he would make us soil number four. And so here comes the curveball of Jesus' teaching today. He says something rather difficult to interpret. He is either saying that I've come to this world to be deliberately obscure and vague and opaque, or he is saying that the parable's method reveals the hard hearts of a, um, that's in us since you know, they will not take the stories and we won't do the hard work of meditating and reflecting on, the, on God's word. So the question is, is Jesus being deliberately cryptic or is Jesus saying the, the, his parable method reveals our hearts, our hardened hearts? Uh, I disagree, and maybe some do and some don't. I don't believe Jesus is being deliberately cryptic. 
I, I believe he wouldn't even have had to come to this world if he wanted to do that, um, if he just came to the world to purposely hide and hide the gospel. And so I don't think he's being deliberately cryptic. Here he mentions that there are some uh, people, some of us who are outside the kingdom. And the parables that he teaches will remain vague to those who are not inside the kingdom. And this means men and women can understand the point of God's word intellectually, but we will not allow the parables to draw us into a personal understanding or a deep conviction. And we think about the parable that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Like we, all of, I mean, us who've gone through some training or gone through school or English class, we, we can intellectually get this point. He finds a treasure and covers it up. He's happy about it. And then he sells everything he has. It's great, great story. But people outside the kingdom of God will not see the massive implications that the kingdom of heaven is worth buying, even if it means selling all that we have and selling all that we own. That, that's massive implication. We, we, we have to get to, I hope that we get to, the point where the word of God is, is personal, you know, convicting us personally. For us who are outside the kingdom, Jesus' teachings are actually not personally convicting. It, maybe they view Jesus' teachings more impersonal, you know, and maybe he's a jerk to, to us. We're not humbled by it, and we refuse to see what benefits Jesus offers for us. Uh, we don't even believe that Jesus holds any benefits for in, his, in, redeem, in redeeming um, uh, his people. So we hear, but we do not hear. We will never be able to accept the truth behind his parables. And I, earlier, as we read, Jesus does quote Isaiah chapter 6. In Israel's day, the Jews rejected God's word. So in response... And this might be a very hard, one of the harder things to own and swallow. But because the Jews rejected God's word, God, what did he do? Do we know what he did? He blinded and deafened them. And so that goes, that applies for us. When we resist, when we resist the truth that we have, and that is presented right in front of us, when we resist it, even that, will be taken away from us. And so I'm begging and pleading with all the locals I meet, you know, when we get to that point of in, con con in our contact, to not ignore, because we look at the words so that and lest. Because God is righteous, because God is just, when a human rejects him, he will blind and deafen them or him, or her. What then about us who are inside the kingdom? What, what are we to take away? It says that we, we can 
feel comforted and assured that Jesus has chosen some of us to explain his parables too, which is nice. And that's all by God's grace. Jesus comes and opens our minds to the truth. And this is, I think, alluding to that secret of the kingdom. The disciples are shown that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus, that he has ushered in the kingdom itself. And by his grace, we can receive it by receiving Jesus as the rightful king. It isn't an easy teaching. And although it's not, Jesus was still born, you know, many, many century, uh, many days ago. <laughs> and, and God made it, God made Jesus true. And, and he walked this earth. Uh, it, was, it was true to our experience. So many of us, many, many, spend years hearing the biblical truths without really hearing them. And at some point, we are, by God's grace and power of his regeneration, we are part of that many who realize the implication of his parables to ourselves or for ourselves. Why? Because we can all say and agree that Jesus came to us through the Holy Spirit and opened our eyes to it. Why doesn't he come to all people, some may ask? Well, we are not told that answer. We are actually told a different answer. We are told to look at this very diff rather differently. Anyone who stays blind and rejecting his word has freely chosen to do that. And by nature, as Romans 1 tells us, Paul tells us in Romans 1, it is our, our unrighteousness suppressing that truth. And so we willfully become soils number two and soils number three. So we're going to now look at the parable of the lamp. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The lamp Jesus speaks of is himself, almost certainly. Uh, the lamp that is brought in, it had to be brought in, is not about the truth or the word. And the point of this parable is, uh, is a very short one. It's to serve as an assurance that Jesus is the light of the world. And when we listen to these things, remember that the invisibility and the smallness of the kingdom's beginnings by the you know, tininess of that seed that the sower sows, that the, work, um, the working progress or process is slow. And because of how slow it is, the responses garnered are various and usually disappointing. But Jesus is assuring us that he did not come to be a light, a little light under a bed, hidden under a bed. The purpose of him having him in a dark room is to illuminate the entire space. Jesus is saying, believe me, I've come to show the whole world the kingdom of God. Everyone will eventually see it. 
and do not despair all the long wait. Do not despair during the long wait. And last, uh, I guess, oh, another, um, yeah, so here, um, Jesus is telling us to pay attention to what we hear. This, again, alludes to the idea of listening. Jesus is probably referring to the fact that, in general, yes, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If we have a lot of money, it is quite easy to make a lot more, and so forth. Jesus is serving, this little parable here is serving as a promise and a warning. What we get from God depends on how well we listen to his word. He says, pay attention to what you hear. More will be added to you. It seems that to have and to carefully listen are the same thing. The more we truly believe and submit to what Jesus has said, the more he will give us. What are we exactly receiving more of? More of his truth, okay? And it probably refers to God's blessing in general. There's a prop, there is a promise being made here in the form of a challenge. Why should I give you more wisdom and blessing? God is saying, when you are not acting on what you already know. So there is a warning attached in verse 25. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. If we don't apply and act on what we've learned from God, even what we knew will become unreal and we will lose it. Spiritual growth is a lot like riding a bicycle. If we don't pedal forward, we will fall off. Um, it's 10.17, and uh, what I was going to do is talk bore you to death with the, no, I'm kidding, not bore you to death, bore you to life uh, with this life-giving word. Um, but I just wanted to, we'll skip it, and um, this was me uh, three years ago, and um, I played football uh, on a team in Baltimore and, um, you know, made a lot of friends, tried to share the gospel with them slowly, and uh, you can read them in my journal. You can read about them in my journals. Um, this is what Marty says. I'm sorry for the audio quality. That was tough to hear, listen. Like I know, maybe none of us heard that. He was um, he was my running back, and I was his third string quarterback. Um, and yeah, uh, I will mention about that bald, the bald, the bald look in the sermon today. But as I was telling him, um, communicating with him, you know, just via text messaging, I would ask him, I'm happy to know that there is a fellow Christian brother on the team. And he said, right away, oh yeah, I just don't believe in the whole Bible. And I said, you don't believe that the Bible is true? He said, yeah, I don't believe the whole Bible. Some parts are. I asked him, why not? Every story and person in the Bible points, you know, us to Jesus Every miracle, every type of thing that has happened is supposed to make us think about who Jesus is and what you know, Jesus did, the you know, salvation story. And then he recorded himself because not a lot of um, the teammate, my teammates could you know, spell out words or type. Um, they would do a lot of the audio recording, uh, voice to speech, uh, speech to vo text dictation. So he, this is what he, I guess he kind of wanted to just tell us 
that the Bible was passed down by man for centuries, so I know for a fact that man go power crazy, so they will manipulate certain stories to their end no matter what. And uh, we, do we understand him, you know, where his heart is? I would ask, you know, which soil does this sound like? Which, was the seed taken away? Was the seed planted but withered? Was the seed planted, did it grow, but did it not bear fruit? Or was the seed planted and it, is, it will produce 30, 60, 100 fold? I, I don't know. We, uh, the answer is I don't know. Uh, God knows. Um, and I guess I want to end this uh, lecture or teaching that I was saved at 9. And um, I guess I started journaling at 10, so I don't have that story about how I was saved. Um, but through all the trials and through all the sufferings that we, I've endured, and I'm, I'm sure we've endured, you know, one of these books is a yearbook because uh, we were too poor to uh, buy a yearbook, so I had others sign it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased to tell us that faith in Christ is, is so important. Uh, we, we, we have to continue to trust him, you know, through, through it all. Counted as joy, counted all as joy uh, when faced with trials. Um, suffering produces character, produces hope. And um, yeah, and, and uh, I'm glad to have had brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers who could mourn with me when I was mourning and rejoice with me when I was rejoicing. And I, and I pray that, and I know that you, you've all had this family in Christ, you know, to, to look back on to remember. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we are uh, grateful, not perfectly, um, and not always the strongest uh, sense of gratitude, uh, but Lord, you are constantly working in us. You are always uh, praying for us, um, and Lord, we know that you uh, work all, uh, work for our good, uh, for those who love you. So God, get, receive the glory, um, and may all the glory and honor and praise um, be, be yours. Um, help us here uh, who've heard, who read, we just read through Mark 4, um, that seed that's been sown to deeply convict and personally um, be um, impacted because your grace is so irresistible and that um, your election is unconditional, and that you call and save and die for sinners like, like us. It's good to know um, that that is part of your, that you do that out of your pleasure, mere pleasure. Uh, we, we know that we love you, and we know that you love us far more and so I thank you again for this morning, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.